Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us again for another Legislative Lunchcast, uh, our last actually of the year for 2021. I'm Megan Schneider. I'm the Senior Director of Government Affairs here at Nakubo. Uh, joining me is Brian Dixon, Director of Student Financial Services and Educational Programs. And we are thrilled uh, that you are either viewing this live with us right now or watching it on demand later, or uh, our new option, if you haven't discovered it yet, is that you can also get the audio of all of our legislative lunchcasts uh, as part of our Nakubo in Brief podcast series. Uh, so if you'd like to listen to this lunchcast uh, later or again or on the go, you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and if you're hearing this for the first time in our podcast stream, Welcome. Thrilled you're using this new tool. We're pretty excited about it. Hopefully it makes it easier for you uh, to keep keep caught up and keep current with all of our uh, Capitol Hill and federal agency updates. We will get started with Capitol Hill. Um, Talking about something that you have heard us discuss it seems almost near constantly this fall. Uh, You will also hear me say that we are in a place that we have been previously this fall on a number of items. Uh, We'll start with the budget. You probably remember us talking about how uh, several months ago, a continuing resolution was needed uh, to prevent a government shutdown. Essentially, that happens when Congress cannot agree uh, to a fiscal year budget for the next fiscal year by the end of the previous fiscal year. Of course, for the federal government, that comes at the end of September. Uh, So a continuing resolution Uh, was needed earlier this year. Congress came to an agreement. Uh, That first continuing resolution had run out. Uh, Another one was needed. Somewhat a little bit unusual, This the current continuing resolution uh, is a little bit longer than the ones we we normally see. Uh, This current one will fund the federal government at the previous year's uh, fiscal levels until late February. A couple of things to note. um, Obviously, we would never want to have a a government shutdown. That's not great, obviously, for federal government employees, but also for those of you that uh, receive federal uh, government grant money, that can be really tricky for receiving your aid. Um, So good thing this is happening, although I will say it does impact if the next year's fiscal budget includes income increases funding for important agencies like Department of Ed or any of the research agencies or has new funding streams uh, that your institutions can benefit from. They won't actually be able to benefit or see those increases until the budget is agreed to. Um, So hopefully that will happen by February 18th. If not, we'll, we'll be staring down the barrel of another CR. So stay tuned. Another thing you have heard us talk about this fall, uh, the debt ceiling. And again, this is something Congress did deal with earlier this fall on a short-term basis. Um, Just late last night, we're recording this on uh, December 15th, just last night on the 14th, they did come to an agreement to raise the debt ceiling again. Unlike the one earlier, the agreement earlier this fall, um, this will actually raise the debt ceiling sufficiently so Congress, in theory, should not have to deal with it again for several years. Uh, They're projecting right now 2023. But again, this is a good thing because this takes it off the current Congress's plate for a while, freeing up 
floor time to discuss other important issues, much like the third bullet you see there, NDAA passage. You'll see there on uh, our slide deck that it says awaiting NDAA passage. Um, if you're not familiar, that's the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, important for colleges and universities because there does tend to be a fair amount of funding for uh, research at the defense agencies in their uh, programs like DARPA-E and others similar to it. Um, that's why it's uh, most pertinent. That is the areas that it's most pertinent to uh, higher ed. Otherwise, it just is a general uh, primary funding source for the country's defense policy. But just prior to us starting to record about 30 minutes ago, it looks like that was passed as well. Uh, so that is just awaiting the president's signature. Again, this is another big bill that tends to take up a fair amount of floor time. Uh, so it is good that Congress has now dealt with that so that they can get back to what we have all been discussing, it seems, endlessly this fall. And that, of course, is infrastructure. Since we last spoke, uh, our last legislative lunch cast, that you, you may recall that uh, infrastructure has moved forward in two main packages. One was the bipartisan framework known as the Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act. That has been passed since we last spoke. Uh, the other one that is still being debated, of course, is the Build Back Better Act that is uh, primarily uh, a product of the Democratic Party. Returning to uh, the bipartisan framework that has passed, that is primarily traditional infrastructure items, not a ton of overlap for higher education, mostly roads, streets, bridges, things like that. Uh, but it is important to know if uh, you are an institution that has made use of the employee retention tax credit, you'll want to take note that one thing that that bill did do in order to uh, enact some cost savings was do a retroactive elimination of the ERTC. Um, that credit was supposed to be available through the end of the cal calendar year. It has now been limited to wages through the end of September. If you are one of those institutions uh, that was making use of the ERTC um, and you had received advance payments as a result of uh, making use of the ERTC, or if you had preemptively uh, reduced your employee, employment tax deposits uh, for wages that aren't eligible anymore because of this change, um, check out the IRS's guidance on this. It is linked on our website. It's linked in the resource document uh, for today's webinar. Um, so if that is where your institution is, go ahead and check out those resources. Um, pivoting again to the Build Back Better Act, we are in, like everything else, a place that we have been earlier this fall, which is to say the House has passed a version of it. Uh, that House passed version is still being debated in the Senate. It is important to note for the timing, because the Senate will probably make changes, um, it will then have to go back to the House. The House will have to approve whatever changes are made uh, by the Senate in this go around. Um, We've talked about this before. We certainly talked about it in our last legislative lunch cast. There is, of course, quite a bit in the Build Back Better Act for higher education, um, notably a pretty sizable increase to the Max Pell Grant Award, uh, very importantly for students, an elimination of the taxability of their Pell Grants. That's great. That will make those Pell Grant Award dollars go further. Pretty sizable R&D increases at a number of uh, scientific agencies, um, a good amount of new funding for HBCUs, MSIs, tribal colleges and universities, uh, expansion of Title IV aid that will allow DACA recipients to access that aid, uh, as well as Pell Grants for the first time ever, which is great news for them, uh, a new completion grant program, tech training programs, 
other tax fixes, things like that. So again, we continue to advocate for higher ed priorities with uh, members of the Senate. And of course, we will await and see uh, what comes of it after it is eventually passed by the Senate and then goes back to the House. The timing on this is a little up in the air. Most Democrats are saying they'd like to have it done by Christmas, but uh, there are a few holdouts that aren't necessarily committed to that timeline. So stay tuned. With that, I am going to turn it back to uh, Brian to talk about some student veteran legislation. Thanks, Megan. And hello to all of our viewers and listeners. Um, so, yeah, as we've we've reported uh, on before on previous lunch casts, um, we continue to monitor some legislation um, impacting student veterans. Uh, so we did want to give uh, an update here. Um, this remote act is a package of actually several um, veterans, student veterans related bills. Um, and up until yesterday, we were pretty uh, close to seeing this, uh, this uh, passed and resolved. Uh, hit a bit of a snag in the Senate yesterday, but we are hopeful uh, that this can get passed and signed into law so that um, uh, students can, as you see here on this bullet, get their, their housing allowances for the spring term. Um, this bill had included, does include, excuse me, some flexibilities to some uh, provisions related to the pandemic that were provided earlier. Um, other bits in here, um, I'm sorry, that, that provision would allow um, students to receive their housing allowances, um, even though they're online learning. Um, remotely, um, hence the name Remote Act. Uh, so also there were some bits in there that um, included some technical corrections to what was the uh, what is the Isaacson Rowe Act, um, which again, we've been giving you updates on. Not going to go really in depth here. We've covered these quite a bit, but just real fast. Um, this previous legislation, Isaacson Rowe had called for two mandatory certifications of a student veteran's enrollment, uh, one at the beginning of the term, and then the other kind of after the dust settles when uh, students have finished tweaking their schedules. Um, and this process works at most schools, but uh, there was some, it was a bit burdensome and unnecessary for our schools with flat tuition rates. So that's why um, that is included there. Um, the rounding out policy change, it would, it would make a fix um, to some VA rules, um, and it would allow student veterans more flexibility when they're scheduling their uh, classes in their final term at an institution, final semester, um, because they want to make sure that they're taking a full-time load to receive um, all of their benefits. So this would allow them to retake courses in that final term or take electives that are outside of their program of study. And then finally, in this remote act, they did uh, include a provision to, lim uh, to lift rather the limit on um, uh, equal employment, equal employment opportunity officers at VA. Uh, previously, there was a statutory cap of 40 FTE staff doing that. So we are again hopeful that um, this will get resolved here in the in the in the near future, um, so that um, all of these fixes can uh, go through, as well as, like I said, that um, extension of uh, the COVID benefits to student veterans. Um, Megan, back to you. Uh, pivoting over to our friends at the Department of Education, lots of rulemaking news. Um, as you probably recall from previous lunch casts, um, the Department of Ed had their first major rulemaking underway over the course of this fall um, that just actually wrapped up last week. They held their final rulemaking session uh, on the 10th. Um, that, of course, 
uh, that rulemaking, of course, was focused primarily on student borrower issues, not a ton on the institutional side, um, uh, revamping repayment plans, revamping the public service loan forgiveness program, things like that. Um, we now know that uh, as a result of that negotiated rulemaking, uh, the negotiators did come to a consensus on four out of 12 topics, uh, so not quite half. Um some of the topics that they did come to consensus on were uh, loan forgiveness for borrowers with severe uh, disabilities, uh, but some of the other things that they did not, some of the bigger topics that they weren't able to reach consensus on were things like mandatory arbitration agreements uh, in higher education, um, loan forgiveness for students that uh, face sudden closure of their universities, things like this. Um, what's important to note about the process is how this works is on those four topics that uh, the not negotiators were able to come to consensus on, the department will now have to uh, promulgate regulations that uh, essentially uh, what the negotiators agreed to. Um, so all of that work uh, and all of the input from external stakeholders, um, where they agreed is what will eventually become regulations. Um, but on those other areas where negotiators weren't able to uh, achieve consensus, that then frees the department up to pretty much go ahead and promulgate regulations as they see fit. Um, so that's kind of how NEGREG works. Uh, it's the federal government saying, hey, we will let external stakeholders uh, and some department representatives come together and see if they can reach consensus on these issues. But if you don't, then we have the freedom to do what we would like in terms of rulemaking. So um, stay tuned. We'll see. Uh, start to see, I'm sure, some regulations coming out as a result of this rulemaking. Uh, but notably, the department is not wasting any time. Their second rulemaking effort will get underway after the first of the year. Uh, earlier indications had been that this was just going to be on uh, the 9010 rule for proprietary institutions. Uh, but when the actual uh, notice came out about this rulemaking, there were a number of other topics uh, for non-proprietary non institutions, for nonprofit institutions to take heed of things like gainful employment, uh, but notably for Nakubo, uh, and for most uh, nonprofit uh, institutions, uh, financial responsibility regulations was included in uh, the rulemaking for this go around. Uh, so Nakubo has indeed nominated several people, uh, two from Nakubo member institutions and one uh, from our own staff, our director of accounting policy, Sue Mendito. Um, so essentially what we do now is wait to see if those nominations are accepted by the Department of Education. Hopefully they are. Um, if not, of course, though, we will continue to pay really close attention to how this how these rulemaking goes, uh, what comes out of it. Um, all of those sessions will take place starting in late January of next year. Um, they'll run through March. Um, they will be all virtual, so there is the possibility for the public to uh, watch them that way. Um, but stay tuned on that. Lots of rulemaking from the Department of Ed. Uh, another rulemaking update that we did just recently learn. You've probably heard me talk about uh, future Title IX rulemaking uh, that is was supposed to come about in late spring. Um, early indications had been that in May of next year, the department would probably propose some new regulations for an overhaul of the handling of campus sexual assault. 
looks like that's been bugged up. Looks like we'll probably see those in April of next year. So again, the department is uh, really wasting no time in doing quite a bit of rulemaking. Um, honestly, not a huge surprise for uh, when you have an administration changeover. Uh, but this one, this administration in particular is doing doing quite a bit here. Um, you may recall from our last lunch cast that we talked a fair amount about all of the different changes that were occurring in college athletics. Um, we did talk about, in particular, a recent memo from the National Labor Relations Board uh, offering the uh, non-binding opinion that uh, student athletes at private institutions were employees. Um, just wanted to say there has we have seen the Department of Ed get involved in this discussion a little bit, um, not offering any opinions on that topic in particular on employees versus not employees, uh, but taking note that because of the NCAA's recent suspension of their rules on uh, student athletes' abilities to be compensated for use of their name, image, and likeness, that uh, for those of you in the Bursar office, uh, you should be aware now that you potentially will need to assess some of that student athlete NIL compensation uh, as part of your review for their uh, uh, federal financial aid. Um, that was just issued in the form of a dear colleague letter. Um, you can find that on the Department of Education's uh, Federal Student Aid Partners website. It's also linked in the resource document. Uh, so just something to keep an eye on as we continue to see our student athletes making money off their NIL. Obviously, that has uh, potential ramifications throughout the institution. So we'll continue to bring you updates. And just another little note in this uh, this area, you've probably seen that um, the NCAA is in the process of drafting a new constitution. A lot of it has to do on some of these NIL changes, as well as a, a number of, of other substantive changes. I believe they're on their second draft now. So uh, those of you at, at schools with uh, large athletic programs, and even those of you at schools with small athletic programs, stay tuned. I'm sure we will see quite a bit coming out of that as well. Um, some HERF updates, HERF, of course, being the Higher Education Emergency Relief Fund. Um, we are still waiting on an annual reporting form for that HERF aid. Uh, I know many of you are anxious to start putting that annual form together. Um, hopefully it comes sooner rather than later. We will let you know the second it's available, uh, but stay tuned. Um, I just wanted to touch on the topic of extensions really quickly because we have had several email questions about this. Uh, relating to what the process is for receiving an extension on your spend-by date for your HERF aid. Just as a reminder, the department has not created any specific form to request an extension. Um, what they have said is if you think that you have reason to need an extension, talk to your uh, program grant manager that is listed on your grant award notification Again, there is no form, um, but if you have, you know, a very specific project in mind that you think will take longer than your spend-by date, if you have a good reason for needing an extension, reach out to those grant managers now uh, and talk to them about it. Just another resource update, uh, we have gotten a lot of questions uh, since March of last year on how to report uh, HERF emergency grants to students on students 1098Ts. So many questions, in fact, that we just created a video. So you can watch a video and it will walk you through uh, how to report those emergency grants to students on their 1098T. And you can find that video along with a ton of other HERF resources in our HERF Resource Center. Accounting tutorials on HERF and other uh, COVID relief programs, previous town hall recordings, links to Department of Education guidance, that great 1098T video, 
and more. So be sure to check that out. For those of you that may have watched our vaccine mandate town hall, uh, that is still available for on-demand viewing. You can check that out on our website. But there, of course, have been a number of updates to uh, federal vaccine requirements um, as a result of litigation. Um, The short way to say this is that all of the federal vaccine mandates are temporarily on hold right now. Um, most of them, uh, the, the federal contractor mandate and the emergency temporary standard that uh, impacted most employees uh, of both public and private institutions um, had an effective date of January 4th. Both of those, and also for uh, healthcare uh, workers, um, which came into play for those of you that have hospitals, For all three of these mandates, they have been temporarily halted by courts. Um, What we at Nakubo have said is it may still be a good idea for your institution to make sure that you at least have, even if you're not still uh, complying with the VAX mandate, maybe make sure you have those pieces in place to comply because what could happen here is that this litigation goes through. Um, Ultimately, it gets to a place where courts do uphold these mandates. Uh, and you may find up, you know, if that happens on January 3rd, they're probably not going to give you extra time to get into compliance by the original effective date of January 4th. So may still be a good idea for your institution to uh, at least make sure if you need to be complying with these mandates again, you're in a good place to do so. Um, but that, of course, is a, an institution decision. Uh, if you do want to know how to be in compliance with these requirements, we have a number of resources available. That town hall I mentioned that walks through all of the requirements as well as uh, written analysis on our website that are, of course, linked in uh, the resource document for the webinar today and, of course, available on the Nakubo website. With that, I'm going to turn it back over to Brian Dixon to talk about an emerging emerging issue that I know has been causing uh, quite a few of you some some headaches over the past few weeks. Myself included on the headache list, Megan. Um, so yes, um, there um, there is this law. It's called the Debt Collection Licensing Act um, out of California that we we only recently uh, just got wind of. Uh, that goes into effect January 1st. Um, the key thing here is that it states that that no one shall engage in the business of debt collection in, in California without first obtaining a license. Now, the thing here to, to keep in mind is, so, this apply, so organizations in California, you're located in California, this law says that you wouldn't be able to collect from California residents or non-residents. If you're not located in California, you would not be able to collect from California residents without a license. So we, where the headaches come in is that we have heard um, conflicting information uh, on whether this applies to colleges and universities. Um, bit of uh, some, I won't say disagreement, but uh, not quite in sync between lawmakers and the agency uh, enforcing this. The agency is moving uh, forward, you know, responding to questions from schools and and saying basically that they'll need a license. So in the absence of a clear waiver or clear exemption for colleges and universities, you're all going to need to really take a look at this. And if you determine that you meet the definitions and requirements uh, set out in the law, you will need to apply for a license. So this is definitely something you want to talk through with counsel. You know, questions probably are going to be, how many California residents do you enroll? Um, 
of those, how many of them carry balances you want to collect? You know, what's the situation with your collection agency if you use one? Um, and there are other things, you know, you can do, um, uh, you know, obviously applying for a license is one of them, but maybe you don't have, you're in that situation where you don't have a lot of California uh, residents who are your students, or they don't have debts you want to collect. You could kind of throw your hands up and just absorb that. Um, you could consider assigning them to a collection agency. You could press pause on collecting from California residents until the dust settles on this. So you're going to be making kind of a risk-based determination here. And we are really trying our best to determine the applicability here. And we, we totally recognize that the timing is not ideal. Um, if we learn anything new, late breaking, we will push that out. Absolutely. But, but for the time being, you know, if, if, if after your review of your situation, you find that you, you need to be licensed, um, you'll need to get, you want to get that application in by December 31st. Um, the law allows you to continue to collect until your application is officially approved or disapproved, as long as it's in before Jan 1. If you submit it on January 1, you will have to wait until it is officially approved before you could begin collecting under this law. And again, if you're using a collection agency, you're definitely going to want to make sure that they are in compliance with uh, this California law too. So that's kind of the big Mm, I wish we had more to share. I don't know, Megan, if you have anything else you want to add, that's kind of all I have on it. Nothing to add on on my part, except to say, uh, if, if you are frustrated about this, uh, we feel your pain. Brian has been doing a lot of work over the past couple of weeks to try and hunt down an answer on this. And we wish you we had more to share with you. But really, uh, it, it, it seems to be uh, something that a lot of people in California and elsewhere are very confused about. So yeah, we'll please. continue looking for an answer, but uh, rest assured, if you're confused, you are not alone. And and we have, you know, articles on our website. We've linked to it in the resource center. So that's, if, if you, if the questions, if you're scratching your head, uh, take a look there. That links to the California um, page that has questions and answers, text of legislation, application process and all of that. So resource center, resource center, resource center. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. And like Brian said, uh, as we continue to learn more about this, um, we'll certainly post timely updates as necessary. Uh, for those of you that subscribe to uh, Current, our weekly newsletter, uh, where we typically push out all of our uh, policy update news, we have published this week's was the last for uh, the calendar year 2021. Obviously, of course, we'll pick up in the new year. But uh, knowing that there are still things that could potentially come out of this, knowing that we have things uh, still happening on Capitol Hill with the infrastructure legislation and things like that, uh, even though we don't have uh, our weekly current for the next two weeks, if something should happen, uh, just be sure to t check the Nakubo homepage and scroll down to the news section um, about halfway down the homepage on the right. Uh, we will continue to post, you know, timely updates as necessary, even though we are on a on a short uh, current break for the winter holidays. So continue to check back. Pivoting, of course, over to DACA, uh, you'll probably remember from our last legislative lunch cast or uh, from other updates that we've shared throughout uh, the fall, uh, the uh, Department of Homeland Security had proposed some rules on uh, eligibility criteria for the DACA program. Again, as a reminder, these proposed rule changes didn't actually make any major changes 
to that eligibility criteria. The purpose behind this was to strengthen the legal underpinnings of the DACA program. Um, the DACA program was, you may recall, created by executive order. Uh, it did not go through the traditional rulemaking process uh, like the ones that we described in great detail that the Department of Ed is doing. Uh, and that has been one of the basis for basis sees for the numerous legal challenges that it has gone through over the course of the years. Um, so this rulemaking effort is really sort of an effort to uh, strengthen those legal underpinnings. But of course, congressional action is still needed. The major update here is to say that uh, Nakuo has joined uh, several other higher education associations in submitting comments on that proposed rule. Um, and although the criteria didn't really change much um, from the proposed rule, um, those comments did offer a number of pretty substantive changes to the DACA program, uh, including changing relevant dates to be updated. Um, obviously, a lot has changed since the DACA program was first created back in 2012, and some of those uh, eligibility dates that made sense then don't necessarily make sense now. So that was a, a big uh, portion of our comments. Uh, but we joined with the American Council on Education. They did a great job in leading these comments. Um, and you can read the full text of the comments on our letters to Congress and the administration page. Um, stay tuned. I am guessing that we will probably see the result uh, of that ending of the comment period and the subsequent regulations relatively soon within the next uh, several months, probably. Um, so stay tuned for that. We are out of time for Q&A, unfortunately, as we so often are. Uh, but of course, feel free to always uh, reach us via email at advocacy at nakubo.org. Uh, with that, thank you so much for joining us for every Legislative Lunchcast this year. Uh, be sure to check us out next year where we will continue uh, our Legislative Lunchcast series, our Town Hall series, uh, and check out the upcoming events linked in the resource document to check out all of our upcoming learning opportunities have a great rest of the year. Thanks, everyone.